There is a robust niche of illustrations in various Jehovah's Witness literature, primarily uh, the Watchtower magazine. I always found anything with the name Watchtower to be kind of sinister, given the connotations of someone going up to a tower and shooting everybody. Yes, exactly. I'm liberating you with bullets. I think that's actually the tagline for Death Witch 5. <laughs> it should be at any rate. Kinjite, the forbidden subjects. <laughs> Welcome to And Thereby Hangs a Tale. I'm Adam Clark. My guest is Jessica Ritchie, a critic and essayist for RogerEbert.com. Jessica, how would you describe the story that uh, you're going to tell us this month? We'll say that a cupcake led me on the road to internal damnation, and the process was completed when Big Bird made me an atheist. If you're an atheist or an agnostic coming from a devout religious background, Jessica's story might mirror yours. I mean, my own fallout from religion was far less dramatic. The only hard part was that mine was a split religious family. So I had to tell my mother I would not be Roman Catholic because I found church boring. And since I had no aptitude for crafting, I would not be allowed to join my father's Zoroastrian quilting circle. I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, and if there's anything we're notable for besides bothering you on the weekends when you're trying to take a nap, it's not celebrating holidays. And the doctrinal reason given for this is the pagan roots of most holidays, honestly. Oh, it always makes the war on Christmas stuff a little funny. I mean, like, actually, well, actually, you mean the war on Saturnalia. <laughs> you don't celebrate uh, holidays and you don't celebrate birthdays. And birthdays in American public schools are marked by bringing in treats for the class on that person's birthday. Kindergarten, first grade, second grade, year in and year out was the march of the cupcakes and the Rice Krispie treats and the brownies that if you wanted to live on Paradise Earth forever and get to hold a koala, you couldn't have. Is a koala part of the Jehovah's Witness religion? Uh, please tell me that's true. Then I should explain this in theology, cosmology of Jehovah's Witness, when you die, you don't go to heaven. You will be resurrected after Armageddon, end of days, and you will get to live forever on a now paradise earth. You think that when you die, you go to heaven, you come to us. There is a robust genre of watchtower illustrations showing, you know, Sylvan Glenn scenes of life on Paradise Earth. And for some reason, it seems to be a thing of wandering like an apple orchard holding a koala. Of course. The point being, you want to hold a koala in Paradise Earth, you don't get to eat the birthday cupcakes. So... <laughs> <laughs> this had basically gone on, you know, year in and year out until the third grade. I want to say it was the third grade. And it was somebody's birthday and they brought in cupcakes. And it's worth pointing out that this was a person who'd always been kind of nice to me. And 
another thing the Jehovah's Witnesses hammered into you is that you weren't supposed to have friends outside the organization because, you know, they were worldly and they would spoil good habits and they would keep you from your, your paradise koala. Don't forget that. <laughs> that was difficult for me because I had a few really good friends in the Kingdom Hall. What is that? Jehovah's Witnesses have to be completely affected in the we're not any part of, you know, Christendom, which is what they call Christians who aren't Jehovah's Witness. So we can't have normal ass names of what everybody fucking calls what this clearly is. So it's not a church, it's a kingdom hall. And it's not it's not a sermon, it's a talk. They called it a talk. I'm curious if at any point did they think about upgrading it to a rap. <laughs> She's including me in her birthday celebration, and already the other kids in the Kingdom Hall, when they had sleepovers, never invited me. These are God's chosen people, but they're assholes. And this is somebody who's going to fall into a crevice in the earth when, you know, the earth cracks open in Armageddon and plumes of smoke and flame come out. But she's nice, and she gave me a birthday cupcake. So, in what probably are easily going to be the longest 14 minutes of my life. The teacher passed out the cupcakes that her mom had brought in. And of course, everybody just started eating it. I was supposed to just, you know, hand it back, but I didn't. And I looked at it and I thought, it seems kind of odd that, you know, a baked good that somebody gave to you to be nice, to celebrate their day of birth should cost you a koala. And I picked up that cupcake and it was one of those Pillsbury funfetti things that had like little bits of can the little bits of candy both in the cupcake and the icing that cost me my paradise koala or I should say mortally wounded my chances of getting a paradise koala and I'm okay with that. The serpent in this Garden of Eden story is poppin' fresh. <laughs> Chaos reigns! <laughs> uh, that's the only thing Lars von Trier should be making, is commercials oh, for goddamn sugary treats. Leave Bjork alone, Lars von Trier. She had a promising career as an actress. You've described uh, Big Bird as the Pied Piper to your march to atheism. <laughs> and I'm curious as to what you mean by that. There was a Sesame Street uh, special from the early 80s called Don't Eat the Pictures. And the premise is the Sesame Street gang accidentally gets locked in the Metropolitan Museum of Art overnight. And they all have various misadventures. Now, Big Bird's and Snuffy's misadventure is that they find the spirit of a little ancient Egyptian boy wandering the ancient Egyptian wing of the museum. And he tells them that he is doomed to wander this place eternally until he can answer uh, a demon's question correctly where does today meet yesterday? So Snuffy and Big Bird promise to help him find the answer, and then they go off and have some more misadventures themselves. So they get to question time. While they're thinking out loud, Big Bird says, well, you know, 
you could just come with us and live on Sesame Street. And he realizes that, you know, the little boy can't because of, you know, the curse. And the little boy says, it wouldn't work because, you know, you're from today and I'm from long ago. And then Big Bird says, yeah, like you're from long ago. Like a lot of things in this museum, it's like, you're from yesterday and we're from today and we met you in a museum. And the little boy's lies eyes light up because he has the answer. So when the demon asks, where does today meet yesterday? He's able to answer in a museum. And the demon looks impressed. But now comes the make or break moment because now he has to have his heart weighed by Osiris. And if his heart is heavier than a feather, he will not be able to enter the Egyptian afterlife. So there's a funny bit where at first Osiris doesn't have a feather, so Big Bird generously gives him one of his. <laughs> and then there's this tense moment where the scales are weighed, are you know going back and forth, and uh-oh, his heart is heavier than a feather. So Osiris starts to say, Oh, well, guess that's that. I'm sorry, you won't be able to, you know, enter the Egyptian afterlife and see your family again and big bird says wait that's not fair and you know osiris bellows at him and big bird holds his ground it's not fair uh well he's he's just a little boy and he's been alone for four thousand years with no one to love him so of course his heart is heavy of course he you know would be sad and lonely and like the little boy hugs him and his heart becomes lighter than a feather and osiris lets him into the afterlife and you'd think well you became an atheist from that and i'll say yes because big bird talked back to a god big bird saw that the rules of a god were completely unfair Big Bird saw that the rules of a god didn't take into account human experience and feelings. And, like, I certainly couldn't have explained this to you in these terms then, but somewhere in the back of my child mind was the idea of religious belief never supersede basic human decency. Is there a moment in this special, Jess, where Snuffleupagus raises his trunk and says, what does God need with a starship? (laughs) No, but that's about the only thing it's missing. When did you see this? In my early childhood, and I'm trying to place if it was before or after the cupcake incident, but I cannot be sure. They seem to go hand in hand. Don't Eat the Pictures has a much weightier plot than Follow That Bird. Yes, 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 it does. It's Big Bird. Big Bird. Big Bird. Big Yellow Turkey. In his first movie ever, Sesame Street presents Follow That Bird. Rated G. Starts Friday, August 2nd at a theater near you. You were separating more and more from the lifestyle and the, well, not the church, but the Kingdom Hall. What was the, I guess, cost of that in terms of getting along with with people that were part of the religion and not? Were there social consequences? Because I imagine there were. Oh, big time. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses practice shunning. What, really? (laughs) Yep. Jehovah's Witnesses are my mom? (laughs) Yep. Jehovah's Witnesses have a special term for shunning, disfellowshipping. A witness can only be disfellowshipped when they have committed and refused to repent for a sin. Sins include murder, good, treason, solid, even divorce. 
<laughs> You're starting to lose me there. It's so complicated because my parents split up. This was after the cupcake incident. So when my mom, sister, and I left, that was it for a lot of kids that I had grown up with. Your entire support system and people who were supposedly all always were going to be there for you are gone. And now you try have to try to navigate and make friends with people that you had been told over and over again, they're either terrible people or, you know, they're going to die anyway at Armageddon. So, <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, yeah. So you, it, there's, yeah, there's a reason I'm not the biggest social butterfly. Oh my, and, and this happened to you, this was in your adolescence. So like this was as a preteen. Yeah, like 11 or 12. So yeah, the worst possible age to get the rug yanked out from you socially. Because it was my mother and my sister and I that left, not my father. But it, it again, it gets so complicated because like my mother was devout, but it, it's more that she is a devout Christian who is this very odd mix of like social prude that mixed well with a lot of the Jehovah's Witness prohibitions. But at the same time, she's utterly an independent minded woman out of second wave feminism. She actually went to college in the early 90s when she was well into her 30s, maybe even early in her 40s. Jehovah's Witnesses frown very deeply on any going to college. My mom wanted to get involved in politics and, you know, but she would have us turn off movie trailers on TV that she thought were too intense, which was pretty much all of them. And, you know, shut up was considered a curse word to her. My dad, I'd say, was a devout Jehovah's Witness even though he'd let us watch R-rated movies and would get us gifts around Christmas so we wouldn't feel left out. So it was like this this weird mix of already there was there was a sense of the well you could kind of make up your own code and, and make up your own way you want to interpret rules. So fuck it, I'm having a cupcake. <laughs> He he was so smart and constantly a voracious reader and watch movies and things like that, that he needed to have been a, a Catholic boy from Michigan. He would have had a much easier time of it as a Catholic boy in Michigan than he did as a Jehovah's Witness in Michigan, you know, during a time where like, you know, they didn't, you know, well, they still don't, but like, you know, not saluting the flag. And, you know, this was the kind of like, you know, McCarthy and witch hunts and the, the idea of like, like being pacifist and th- it's like that didn't make things easy for him. I imagine not actually this business about not saluting the flag, Jess, that's new to me. Like what, why exactly is, is that a, a thing? Are you not supposed to have like idols, I guess? I mean, what is it? It's more that like you're supposed to recognize no authority except Jehovah, God, which isn't to say that you're not supposed to do things like pay your taxes because they they say, you know, pay Caesar's things to Caesar and God to God, but you're not supposed to salute the flag and you're not supposed to vote and you're not supposed to take part in politics. And I'm always going to be so proud of my dad for registering to vote twice once in 92 because he was so horrified by what Reaganomics had done to the country he'd had to vote them out and then in 2008 so he could vote for Obama (laughs) 
there's so much I'm not grateful for and so much that I'm still dealing with the scars and fallout from of being raised a Jehovah's Witness, but I'm a touch grateful for having no muscle memory for ceremonial patriotism, for always having this instinctive thing of like the, oh, I, I guess I'm supposed to stand for the national anthem. All right, sure, I'll put my hand over my heart. But that that always that moment of the, hmm, should I do this? Why should I do this? Is it a good thing to do this? I think is, and, 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 and certainly, I don't think they wanted you to engender those kind of critical thinking skills because it was much more about maintaining in-group control of like, you know, of that. But at the same time, it was one of those like, those, those funny things of where like something inadvertently taught you a really good life lesson so like that that hesitancy over and skepticism about ceremonial patriotism i am grateful for a lot of kids have the privilege of rebelling against the stability of what they grew up with because it's still around but everything you knew was taken from you i always could go bury myself in the corner with a book or watch a movie and my mom kind of kept an iron hand on what like we could play on the vcr or watch on tv but she eventually started you know being gone all the time with political meetings and like my dad let us watch whatever did you ever have a conversation with your parents about becoming an atheist given their very different extremes in terms of religious devotion I don't talk to my mom about anything big or serious by virtue of just not wanting the headache that it's never really come up outside of the obvious fact of like, well, I don't go to church. I have probably talked really well about this with my dad, but he's gone now. And and, and more to the point, we're such a small family. There was the trauma of the crack up and the shunning, and then everybody just kind of wandered into whatever was the best fit for them spiritually. And my mom was the only one who was religious enough to find another church after we left. And like, even though my dad was nominally Jehovah's Witness, he never really went to meetings. <laughs> I grew up in Western North Carolina, so I grew up in the Bible Belt, so everyone was a crazy, devoutly religious person of one stripe or another. Do you have any kind of religious leanings now, or or not? Not really, and I'm like, and not doing the, the obnoxious dodge of, you know, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. That's like something people say when they want to be deep. I find a sense of sort of like spiritual awe in books and movies, so it's more the sense of... If religion works out for you, that's fine. It's not for me. I find purpose in writing, reading, and watching movies and, you know, listening to music and, you know, art and things like that. I just don't have the wiring and whether I ever did or the wiring burnt out from my experience of being raised Jehovah's Witness is a matter for debate to make the leap of faith, in other words. It's like, you know, if I I tried to pray or if I tried to get into like a religious service, like a, a part of me would know, you're faking you're faking this. But at the same time, when I'm incredibly moved by, you know, a work of art or a movie or a book or walk through nature, that's real. That's real. And so you find meaning that you make yourself. That was Jessica Ritchie. I can relate a lot to someone who says their faith or spirituality is movies. Unsurprisingly, I had to cut an hour of Jessica and I talking about RoboCop 2 from this very episode. In her writings, Jessica tackles way smarter movies than RoboCop 2. 
You can find Jessica's writing at RogerEbert.com. We'll have a link in the show notes in case you think Roger is spelt with, I don't know, a D. Didn't spell his name with a D. What is he, a monster? The show notes are at megaphonic.fm slash thereby slash five. You can also find Jessica on Twitter at Ruby underscore Stevens. We'll have a link in the show notes for that in case you're one of those monsters who spells Stevens with a PH. But enough about that. Who's our next buy on their time? Hi, I'm Jordan Shear. Ah, Jordan Shear is a prolific podcaster whose most recent pod is called Pantless Prose. He's also a stand-up comic, and he's going to tell us about his experience with religion and how going for the joke doesn't always make you the nicest or sanest guy. That's all for this month's Thereby. I hope it gave you a Muppet of inspiration. Another religious story awaits you next month because this podcast is slowly turning into a gritty reboot of the Barchester Chronicles. So smash that unsubscribe button. Good night. And Thereby Hangs a Tale is a production of Megaphonic FM. Find this and all of our fancy little podcasts at megaphonic.fm.